One Week Season. One Week Season, fam, La Familia. Welcome back. It is Week 5 DFS FanDuel Labs coming at you today, getting ready for uh, the first of the bye weeks. Week 5, got some premium teams on bye. We're down to a 10-team main slate. Uh, which kind of condenses things, but it also, you know, it brings us some very, very interesting decision points, leverage points, um, you know, some game theory. It, it really, you start to see the con- the chalk condense as we have uh, smaller player pools. Um, so it, it's really, this is kind of where you separate the men from the boys as far as decisions go uh, and having to, uh, kind of figure out how you're going to attack each week and account for all the little nuances that they present. So without further ado, I will bring my esteemed colleague on stage with me. Maximus, how are we doing today? So far, so good. Good to be with you again this week. Yes, as always, as always. You're a couple weeks removed from the road now. Life is back to to stable. We're, We're all good there. Uh, how was how was week four for you? How to treat you? Well, my first name is Stephen, and that's what it was, even Stephen. Um, in the five entry max that we usually cover every week, uh, two of my five teams placed. Uh, my best team was 65th place, 151 points, I think was the total. I was in first place for a little while there into the uh, beginning of the second half of the four o'clock games, and then Christian McCaffrey just took over, and I didn't have him on that team that that I had been at that spot in. And so, yeah, all the C-Mac people uh, wanted up running me down. <laughs> yeah, it's always interesting with those, like, premium price players. It, it is hard to, you know, when you're making a roster, sometimes pricing on these guys uh, on FanDuel or DraftKings on any site, the, the high-end guys, uh, it feels a little uncomfortable just because, you know, and you can get thinking, like, well... I'll be fine as long as he doesn't get like X number, but also, you know, those guys are priced there for a reason. So, so once in a while they're, they're going to get, you know, they're going (laughs) to, I mean, that was kind of a historic day for, for CMC, but um, you know, guys like him, Tyreek Jefferson, they've got that in them where, you know, once a year, once or twice a year, they're going to put a score up that is like, Oh yeah. That way passes that number that I said, as long as they don't get tier, I'm fine. (laughs) So, um, but it also goes to show, like you said, you didn't really have him um, and you still broke even on the week. So even on those weeks um, where there's that one guy that really separates from everybody and kind of becomes, you know, a must have to win, uh, you can still have success. uh, You know, you can find other guys who perform um, and it kind of, that just kind of lends credence to the idea of like playing playing for first and not being afraid to take risks or not feeling like you have to account for every player every week because you know you might miss out on them but you, you know you can still be all right with it so um you know just some interesting thoughts there because i think that's a trap that um we all myself included fall into sometimes where it's like oh man i i can't pass up on this guy he could like ruin my week but you know if, if you try to uh you know, it's like in life, if you're trying to do too many things, you're going to do them all like mediocre. <laughs> it's the same way in DFS. Like if you're trying to play everybody, like essentially you're you're playing nobody. 
There was one golden rule of tournaments that I forgot to adhere to uh, this past week, though, and I had a little bit of them. But it's so you had two running backs on FanDuel that were in the same game, that were the same price, but one of them was about twenty five percent owned, and the other one was like maybe one percent owned, and that was Javante Williams and Khalil Herbert. Uh, on my five teams, I only had Khalil Herbert on one of them. And I had Javante on like two or three of them. Now, obviously, he got injured, and we don't know what he ultimately would have done. But Khalil Herbert, I mean, when you have a price point where it's the same skill set of players, in this case, they happen to be in the same game. But one of them is so much owned than the other when it comes to tournaments. Uh, the golden rule would be maybe steer. It's a little bit of a risk, like you said, but you steer toward the player that's not owned. And at the same price point, if he does go off or at least even goes even with, in this case, Javante, uh, that's going to help you out more than having the extremely owned player uh, when you're doing tournaments. So, Yeah, that, that's an interesting one, too, because it's like and I didn't so I didn't play either of them, um, but it was kind of for the same reason, because to me, both of them were kind of timeshare backs like there was no real certainty or or strong lean for either of them having like this like huge workload obviously the matchup looked great on paper with both defenses looking bad um but yeah to your point like herbert was essentially the same bet as javante like you know he's um a struggling offense facing a bad defense kind of has a little over 50 percent of the backfield work so far coming into last week um, so yeah, it, you know, you're what everyone, what the, what the field, what all the chalk was playing Javante, what they were expecting and hoping for, uh, you know, you could make the same exact argument for Herbert. Like they could just, you know, I think the, the scary part with him is that the guy behind him is Roshan Johnson, who's like a kind of a, a rookie who's kind of been hyped and in dynasty and best ball stuff. Like he got a lot of like, um, you know, positive buzz around him. Um, and he'd been playing a decent amount. So I think the, the fear on Herbert for most people was probably like, it was going to go the other way. And he he'd play like 20% of the snaps, but he just like dominated the work. I think he had like 23 opportunities or something. Um, so yeah, it, but to your, to your greater point, it, you know, being able to zoom out and see that the situations, how similar they are, and the discrepancy in ownership, those are, you know, that's, those are the types of spots that where you can really kind of separate yourself. Yeah. If you're going to go with risk, preferably low owned as opposed right. to chalk. Right, right. <laughs> All right. So we'll get into it here. I'm going to share my screen and pull up. So as always, we are building uh, for your, one of your entries in the 30 K Sunday NFL touchdown. It's a five entry max contest. It is 524 total people, $65 entry. And it is $4,000 to first. Again, there are 131 places paid out. That's 25% uh, of, uh, of the field, which is a large number uh, relative. A lot, of, a lot of tournaments are like that 18 to 21% range. So, uh, yeah, really love the structure. We talk about that every week. Uh, if you're new, um, definitely want to check out this contest. The five max is kind of an equalizer, um, and it's a smaller, uh, smaller field. So it's it's definitely more viable to to take down a tournament like this. So 
Uh, with that said, I've got your team up that you shared with me before we went on here. If you want to kind of take me through it and give me your thoughts and, and we'll go from there. Sounds good. And yeah, just for reference, I've now I knock on wood when I say this, I guess, but I've placed at least one team out of five every week in this tournament. One week I had three teams, one week two, uh, or last week two teams. So yeah, it's very, it's a very good setup, very viable tournament. Um, so on this team, uh, we, we start with Jalen Hurts. What I like about Jalen Hurts on FanDuel, because I do play on DraftKings as well. On DraftKings, he's only separated by $200 with Mahomes, but on FanDuel, it's a whole $600 separation. So a little more of a value on FanDuel here. So I have Jalen Hurts, and I have him paired with skinny Batman, uh, Devontae Smith. A.J. Brown's kind of been the crusher so far this year, but I, I always consider Devontae and A.J. Brown 1A, 1B receivers in that offense. Devontae is definitely capable of putting up a, a big game. And then I have a run back of Tyler Higby on the Rams. We don't really know about the Cooper Cup news yet. So I originally had a team with Atwell, but if, you know, if Cooper Cup's going to play and obviously Puka is going to be a, a Nakua is going to be a focal point of their offense still, it's kind of getting cheap exposure on the run back to the Hertz uh, Devontae Smith stack. Then I have a uh, Jameer Gibbs and Brees Hall as your running backs. Um, and then we have Tyreek Hill. Uh, we have Adam Thielen. And then the defense is the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Tennessee Titans are a pass funnel defense, but that's probably the weakest part of Anthony Richardson's game to this point. And uh, they seem to be pretty opponent specific in the way they do their defense every week. Interesting about the Tyreek Hill, Jameer Gibbs. So I was playing around and based on the prices, even though they're two different game environments, they're both game environments I want exposure to because Detroit has a 27 point individual team total. And obviously the Dolphins are like 30. Um, a cane or Mostert are very viable as far as Dolphins you can use. But if you, this team will be Gibbs and Hill. But because I build five teams, you could actually swap Gibbs for David Montgomery and Tyreek Hill for Jalen Waddle, and it wouldn't change anything as far as your total team price. And I kind of just stumbled upon that. I uh, wasn't expecting it, but that's kind of cool if you're doing five teams. You can kind of have exposure to multiple pieces of these offenses between the Dolphins and the Lions. It seems like Carolina's defense has kind of been inviting the run this year. And with Amon Ross St. Brown injured, uh, Josh Reynolds has popped up with an injury. Um, and you can run on Carolina at home in Detroit. I would think that they'll utilize probably both backs potentially a little bit more this week. And then Brees Hall, I just think uh, there's news that just that I just read a little while ago where he's not on a snap count anymore starting this week. And we all know the talent of Brees Hall, and he's playing the worst run defense in football. So not really worried about the Dalvin Cook split. I'm sure he'll get his carries, but uh, at 6,500, I think that's a good price point for the talent and skill set that Brees Hall provides. And then Adam Thielen, not typically a player that I target in tournaments. However, oddly, I kind of looked at his statistics so far. He's in the top 20 in targets in the league. He already has two touchdowns this year, and he's averaging more than 2x his salary overall. Um, and that's kind of the bring back to Gibbs or Montgomery. So you kind of have a skinny stack of correlation uh, with that game. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a little bit of an explanation of this particular team. 
Yeah, that's uh, the Thielen. You know, he's got 31 targets in the last three games, so averaging double digits um, since obviously, you know, week one is always kind of weird for teams. So if you throw that out, he, you know, he's averaging double digit targets. Um, you know, it's a game that you can reasonably expect them to be playing from behind with how good Detroit's look. Detroit's uh, playing on, you know, they've got 10 days rest coming off the Thursday night game. Uh, you know, you bring up Jameer Gibbs. I think it's he's an interesting, you know, an interesting case study with there's been so much about him because he got so much hype. You know, he's the rookie. He's exciting. He's looked good. Um, you know, he's so flashy and so quick that, you know, all summer when they're playing without pads, you see all these highlights and him making these crazy catches and flying around. Um, but then David Montgomery's kind of stolen the show and you know, there's so much to do about their misusing him and this and that. But, you know, when you zoom out and you look at the whole situation for the Lions, in week three, David Montgomery missed the game against the Falcons. Uh, so Gibbs became the feature back. He had 17 carries for 80 yards, only had two targets, uh, and it was one reception for two yards. Now, the Falcons' offense was terrible, couldn't move the ball. So the Lions were basically in control of that game and, and Gibbs was being used as like the feature back, a lot of inside runs, taking more pounding than he's used to. So from a coaching perspective, you look at, they play four days later in Green Bay. Biggs, Gibbs is probably, you know, pretty banged up and, and you know, he's taken a bit of a pounding from his biggest NFL workload. Uh, and then they have Montgomery back, who's fresh, who, who sat out week three. So it makes sense that they would they would just ride Montgomery, especially when the game went how it did, where the Packers fell behind by so much so quick. So I think there's just, you know, everybody, the, the NFL season moves so quick. There's only uh, 17 regular season games for each team. We're about a quarter of the way through. But the reality is that makes each game so much easier to overreact to. Um, and I think – you know, those exercises, kind of thinking about things from a coach's perspective and zooming out, looking at the organization as a whole and what they're doing. And now you've got, like you said, you've got Gibbs, you've got off of a 10-day rest, you've got Gibbs fresh. You know, he didn't, he he's had 10 days. He, he hasn't been used as much in a great matchup. And, you know, interesting, I don't know if you saw it this week, but Austin Eckler, he actually has like a, a podcast or like a live stream show he does every week for fantasy. Um, and he was talking about the running back position and these guys in particular. And he was just saying how there's a lot of like little nuance to the position with how Montgomery is setting up his holes and his patience and vision and just some little things that kind of once Gibbs figures it out, He'll be able to do those same things and learn from Montgomery, but he'll be, you know, he'll explode through those holes quicker. Uh, and he just isn't quite there yet. So a lot of like coaching things where Montgomery is going to have more trust, you know, and the way this game sets up, uh, you would expect the, again, coaching perspective, you have to think about, how they are, I guess, seeing this game and they're 10 point favorites against the Panthers coming off rest. They have, they're going to come in pretty confident. 
So like if there's some things that they think Gibbs needs to work on and figure out, like this is the game where you give him some chances. You're at home. You've got plenty of prep time. The rookie on the short week on the division rival, like your main, your main competition to win the division, that's not the game where you lean on Gibbs. Um, so it'll be interesting. And I do think at his depressed price point and with kind of the narrative around him, uh, I think that's really interesting. I also, I love your uh, Gibbs Tyreek um, equal to Waddle and uh, Montgomery. And Montgomery. Uh, yeah, take, switch them out. <laughs> yeah, so like you could switch those guys out. And when you do that, like, so you could basically just build the same exact roster. And with regards to this week and with regards to this week and this roster, you look at the rest of your roster and other than your defense and Thielen, everybody else is late games. So, you know, you could, and, and Thielen is correlated with uh, a Detroit running back one way or the other. So, you know, in theory, you could just run the same exact roster twice, you know, with the different iterations of it. And then, you know, you could see how it goes and it, depending on which one hits and, and what the ownership percentages are, you know, of M Montgomery Waddle or Tyreek Gibbs, whichever one, if one of those really takes off, you know, based on whatever that ownership is, uh, you can look at the rest of the roster and say, do I want to stick with these guys? Do I want to, uh, do I want to adjust somewhere? Do I need to find, you know, a less chalky piece? Um, yeah, so it, it just gives you a lot of options. And when you're playing multiple lineups, you have this like kind of roster block. You can kind of ham and egg it, you know, and, and have a high, if you have high confidence in various situations, you can have different combinations of how they play out, how you're seeing it, if that makes sense. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, so I think that's really good. Uh, I like your Devontae Smith call, just kind of going away from, when you have these one uh, A one B type situations, it's like I mean for years, like I literally like placed high in tournaments and won tournaments for like a couple straight years just by like playing whoever was lower owned between Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. <laughs> like <laughs> I remember, like when Jay the year Jameis was there, it was just like all right, whichever one the field's not on, I'll just play that guy and. It, it worked out several times. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, Devante, lower price, likely lower owned, interesting. You know, and you brought up Tyler Higby. I, I wanted to talk about this because we were talking before we went on air about the tight end position. And <laughs> it really is. And the thing with FanDuel and the tight end position is like when all else fails, you can just, like, you can just stack it. Like, you know, you can just stack it and just play the tight end from your game, whether it's associated with your quarterback um, or going the other way. Like in this, you know, Higby fits perfectly with the rest of this roster. And, you know, defensively, I like your thoughts on the Titans play. It gets a little thin going below that. Um, so I yeah. think that they're like the lowest, like in play, like, you're not just banking on a fluky defensive touchdown. Like they could actually like control this game. I think they will be somewhat chalky, but you've done enough 
like kind of unique things elsewhere in your lineup that I don't think that that necessarily matters in your size contest. Um, cause it, and it, cause it makes it work. Right. But the, you know, the other, if you did have a couple hundred dollars, you know, it would be, you know, you've also got Goddard is priced only at 5,500. So you could fit him in there. Um, yep. you know, if you, you'd have to move off something somewhere else, but, uh, to my greater point, like Higby, even if Cup comes back, whether Cups comes back or not, um, you know, if he, you can make the argument if Cup comes back, their offense is just probably more likely to succeed against a tough Philly defense. And really, you just need Higby to fall in the end zone. Like you're just, you're just hoping he, if he falls in the end zone and gets 10 points, like you're golden. Like you really are. Like salary multipliers be damned the tight end position, if you get some production, if you just don't get like a four point game, you're ahead of like three quarters of the field. So, you know, and, and there haven't really been, um, when we look at the tight end position, there haven't been those like huge, like run away from the field games. And with the way pricing is like Travis Kelsey with $8,789. He's on sale. He's on sale this week. <laughs> um but like with, at that price like he could he, he if he scores 22 and Higby scores 10 it's not that big of a you know um so yeah just playing you know just playing that correlation like when all else fails like you don't have to overthink and get in the weeds it's also interesting to me I wanted to bring this up because um in discord and on twitter I see all this all these people talking about like uh, D versus P like defense versus position. Um, like, Oh, this team's bad against tight ends. This team's bad, good against receivers, bad against receivers, but like NFL teams, they don't operate the same way our fantasy teams do. So like what I mean by that is I'm like, yes, Travis Kelsey is a tight end and Johnu Smith is a tight end or Dalton Schultz, but they don't like, they don't play the same position. You know what I mean? Like they don't like, they're not doing the same things. They're not being asked to do the same things. Um, you know, same with like wide receivers, like there's different wide receivers who technically they're a wide receiver, but where they're lined up, where they're used, how often they're used, like they're not, it's, it's not the same position. So like sometimes those stats can be really skewed because, um, you know, like the, the Vikings defense, for instance, they played the chiefs this week. I just did the NFL edge right up on it last night. And so like, if you look at the, the Vikings defense, I'll find a chiefs receiver here, I'm going to have to scroll a while. So you got sky Moore, right? Playing the Vikings defense, they're ranked 32nd opponent rank. You see here, 32nd in against against receivers, right? But okay, now when you look at the Vikings, okay, who have they played? Week one, Tampa Bay, Chris or Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, clearly the two best offensive players on their team. Week two, Philadelphia, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, maybe the best wide receiver duo, you know, for sure top three in the league. Week three, Chargers. You have Mike Williams before he got hurt and Keenan Allen. 
again, one of the top duos in the league. So it's like, yeah, the Vikings have been bad against wide receivers, but they've played some damn good ones. <laughs> you know, they've played teams who like are featuring and built around those wide receivers. Now you've got the Chiefs who they have, oh, like last week, they had five receivers play at least 24% of their snaps and they had no receivers play over 61% of their snaps. And, you know, um, I, I dove into this as well. The running backs combined for half of the team's, like, opportunities, targets, and, and, and carries. 50% of that, those opportunities, so the usage for the team, was to the running backs. And 40% of the targets went to tight ends. So you've got, like, you know, you, you've got this Kansas City team that's not built at all. Like, the wide receiver is, like, their least favorite part of their offense. That it's the least trusted part. So it's just an interesting spot where like, yeah, maybe the Vikings aren't great against wide receivers and maybe they've given up a lot of production, but I think that um, it's just, you've got to, you got to pull back the layers there, you know, to, to kind of see it because it, it doesn't necessarily mean that a team of a player that has that great matchup is for sure going to, going to excel in that matchup on paper, because you got, you got to account for what the other team's previous competition was and how that, you know, how that works together. And I'm glad you went to that game. It's a good roll in because uh, the only spot I didn't cover was my flex spot, which is Isaiah Pacheco. The thinking there is a couple different things, levers, if you want Hertz to do well, you don't want Mahomes to do as well. So Pacheco kind of is that lever uh, that you hope the touchdowns come through the run. Uh, Pacheco is also number eight in the league in red zone rushing attempts to this point. He has 13. He has cashed in, I think, one touchdown off that. So, you know, he's due. And uh, that's a good way um, to get exposure to that game, which obviously has a high uh, overall uh, game total. And obviously the Chiefs have the individual team total. So that's the lever thing that I did with that. Alexander Madison's also very viable. Uh, you could even do a skinny between him and, uh, and Madison, maybe on another team. And then another quick, two more quick points. The Higby, uh, Eagles are 31st in the league against the tight end spot. So that's that's a bonus on that stack. And then, you know, I was just thinking about this. I, haven't I just told you that doesn't matter, Maximus. That's true. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> See, no. I'll, the, I'll no. be blinded by the green color. No, so no, but it, sorry, I cut you off there, but I do think it's relevant because again, it's the same exercise I just talked about. So you look look at back at Philly's schedule. Well, they played Washington, Cole Turner and Logan Thomas, Tampa Bay, Kate Otten. Uh, obviously, Hawkinson had a very good game um, against Minnesota. He, but he's a he's obviously a premium player. And then you have Hunter Henry. Um, and Mike Kosicki, I guess, uh, for the Patriots, who are, you know, they're not they're not standout. They're nothing like special, like jump off the page type guys. So that is one where it's like, wow, they're thirty first in the league against tight ends. They've only played one like high end tight end, and this is a game where, yeah, like if the story plays out, like what was what was the game situation where they gave up that big game to Hawkinson? Well, it was like. They scored a bunch of points. Well, 
I'm betting on them scoring a bunch of points here by playing Hertz and Smith. So yeah, it sets up to where they, they probably are going to be set up to give up a bunch of, a bunch of points to the tight end position. So uh, yeah, like, you know, sorry to, to jump in there on you, but it, it's just a perfect example of just doing that digging. Like, is this number for real? And does it actually help me this week? And in this case, I think it does. And also to your point, you know, certain tight ends are used different ways, just like wide receivers. Tight, some tight ends are used more for blocking. Some tight ends are used more for, you know, established passing routes. It'll be interesting if Cup plays or not. That may affect a little bit how Higby is used based on if, if Cup's going to be back or not. One other avenue you can explore here, we were doing the switch up with Montgomery Waddle and uh, Gibbs and Hill. Another thing you could do if you think you're a little thin is you could actually do Gibbs and Waddle. And then that frees up a lot of money. So maybe instead of Thielen, you could probably run back uh, Hertz and Devontae with Puka Nakua or somebody like that. And uh, you can kind of beef up instead of Higby maybe. Maybe you add uh, Goddard with Hertz, like you were saying, and Devontae, and then maybe you do a, a, a bring back of Puka. That may work out. I'm not sure because I didn't explore it, but I'm sure yeah, you're so, probably right in the realm. Yeah, and you'd actually have 1,100 left then. So, you know, at that point you could – Better defense, yeah. Yeah, you could go up at your defense – you know, and that's where you could you could play KC, correlate that. You know, you could play the Patriots at home against um, you know kind of struggling Saints offense. Uh, Dolphins defense. Broncos are really bad, but they're playing Zach Wilson. Um, yeah, you know, he he looked good on Sunday night or better than he has, but he's still Zach Wilson. Um, you know, and also, then you got also the, the Dolphins defense could be a good kind of switch out you just play the defense instead of the offensive players maybe and you you go to another good game environment maybe so yeah the main thing i've noticed on FanDuel this year and maybe it's just random or just happens to be that way is the game environments that i've wanted exposure to and the players within those game environments based on the price points have seemingly been interchangeable which is great for a five entry max setup and uh, i don't know if that's going to continue but it just so happens the last few weeks that it's played out that way yeah so I want to talk real quick about the Chiefs defense because, like I said, I did that NFL edge right up this week. And so I think they're really interesting because I see this game as the, the Chiefs are going to score points. They're, they're going to score some points. Like they're not going to score less than 20 points. Um, you know, and I think they could score like – you know, 40 points if they had to, you know, it, it it could go that way. The interesting thing with the Vikings defense is they lead the league in blitz rate at like 60%. It's like over 20% higher than the next highest team. Like they're just sending guys every play. Um, and Mahomes is really, really good against the blitz. Um, but that's extra true in this instance because they are, the Vikings are 29th in pressure percent. So, like, they're blitzing a ton, but they're not getting home. And Mahomes is, like, the best quarterback in the league at, like, avoiding sacks. So, the, the Chiefs are going to score. The Vikings are the interesting one because when you look at the Kirk Cousins, like, the dud games where he, like, turns into a pumpkin and it's really bad, this is where, like, the primetime Kirk, that whole, like, narrative comes in. And I think it's – it's somewhat, it's true and it's false. 
but I don't think it gets enough play on like what the real issue is. What the issue is, is that when the Vikings fall behind quickly and they become predictable. Now they're a pass heavy team, but there's a difference between passing a lot and the defense knowing you have to pass. So what happens is he's not one of these mobile quarterbacks that can extend plays. So he, and he's another quarterback. He's actually very good against the blitz. So when they fall behind, the defense doesn't feel the need to blitz and they can just rush four or five guys and drop six or seven in coverage. Well, now no one opens up. And if the, the opposing team's front four is able to get pressure without blitzing, now he's being pressured and there's a bunch of defenders back there, like just waiting to like cherry pick his passes. So you look at like last year, this happened twice to him uh, that I remember in like big spots, like game of the week spots, the Packers um, and the Cowboys both were like late afternoon games. And like, I remember that Cowboys game because I built heavily around it and the Cowboys won like 40 to three, but it was just, they got out to like a 17 to three lead. And then Cousins was just a sitting duck back there, and the Cowboys didn't have to blitz. They had seven dudes sitting in coverage, and Parsons was getting there like that. So I see this as a potential, like Chris Jones, like just collapsing the pocket from the interior, and Cousins being like pushed off his spot. Like it, it could get really ugly really quick if uh, if they fall behind. Um, and I think that's like the most likely way this game gets short-circuited. And that's why I think the Vikings are like the X factor in this game. Um, it's got the highest total on the week. Uh, but it's going to come down to like, if the Vikings are able to score early and stay in control of that, they're not like completely predictable, then it can turn into a high scoring game. But if the Chiefs get out to an early lead, I think, I mean, the bolt race could be on here. And Kirk Cousins, no threat to run. So you get Chris Jones and company, you get the front four pressure. He's a sitting duck with the coverage. Well, so yeah, right. So that's why sometimes you'll get these games, like the Colts game last year, where they fell way behind, but then they made this huge comeback and had it scored all these points. Well, the issue there was the Colts. The Colts did the same exact thing, but they weren't able to get any pressure. You know what I mean? So like they weren't able to like even like he was able to stand back there all day, even when he was predictable. And I don't think that's going to be the case with the Chiefs. And to your point, the issue, the concern with, oh, if he. If we don't blitz and we don't get home and he stands back there all day is like eventually like some of these other quarterbacks, they'll just take off and run for eight yards. And, you know, they'll just pick you apart that way, like Mahomes will do. Um, but yeah, Cousins isn't really a threat there. So it's all about the game script and the game flow there. Um, and it, it's really an interesting spot where I think that that Chiefs defense is just such a clear, on, on all sites really, it's such a clear like high upside play, I think. And it's probably not going to be high owned because that's not fun. You know? and, from the and from the roster construction point of view, I like how you you – put the chiefs in there because there is correlation with Pacheco and the chiefs. It's not necessarily adverse to, uh, to have them paired together. So I right. like it from a roster construction point of view as well on one of the teams, maybe or a couple. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, Good man. stuff. All right. Well, I went off on a couple of my monologues today. 
Uh, sorry about that. You've had to listen to me talk a bunch. Hopefully people learned uh, some stuff and, and didn't turn me off. But uh, any more parting shots? Anything you want to talk about for week five before we head out? Now we all love listening to Coach Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Coaching perspective is important. It's just as important as the roster construction angles. And so, yeah, I, I always appreciate the thoughts. And I, on the face of it, I wasn't even thinking about the, the cheap. Well, I kind of was, but I didn't have them necessarily as placement on a team yet. Because obviously we still, you know, we're, these are just practice builds. But that's a, a lot of good points with the with the KC defense there. And that came last year. I know it all too well. That was my best finish last year. I, I made third place with the with Pollard. Don't think I had the Cowboys defense on that team, but I definitely had Pollard, and he he exploded in that one. Not so yeah. much so far. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and the coaching. It, the NFL is just such a unique football is such a unique sport in that in that. The coaches have such control over what happens on each play. You know, they're literally calling the plays. Like even in basketball, like, yeah, you call plays, but you know, it, there's so much, there's so much that, that happens. Um, they, the ball can end up so many different places to like literally everybody on the floor. Um, but with coaching, like there's so much, uh, so many more tendencies and, and they have so much more direct impact based on how they think about that specific game. Um, that that's, you know, pretty clearly the biggest edge I think that you can find in NFL is, is being able to kind of get inside their heads and anticipate, you know, how they react to something. So, uh, yeah, we'll keep trying to, uh, you know, be psychics for these NFL unpredictable NFL coaches and see how that works out for us. Uh, but yeah, should be, should be an interesting week. Like I said, only 10 teams on the slate or 10 games on the slate. Uh, so it condenses the player pool. I would think you'll have uh, by the end of the week, when you have these smaller slates, you get the, the chalk condenses a little bit more. Uh, cause there's not as many like viable plays or good plays on paper and projection wise. So, uh, it, it opens up a lot more opportunity to, to make strong stands, I guess. So, uh, will be interesting to see how that plays out. This has always been my best string of DFS is during the bye week. So, um, hopefully that holds true so that, you know, you can go get some groceries on Monday. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. All right, we will see you next week. Thank you again, Maximus. And best of luck to the OWS fam. See you on Twitter and Discord. Check us out. Good luck. We'll see you in week six. One week season.